Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. My IOs are all messed up, man. Nobody heard the thing you're referencing to make your joke. Lee, Lee said that just before we recorded, and it sounded cool, so I, I thought I'd say it. And now you're all in on the joke. Also joining <laughs> us, Jed Brewer. I think it's great, man. I think all of it's great. <laughs> do you do you think yep. it's great? Yep. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, a man whose IOs have since been sorted out, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Two things. I love that we're not going to explain what that means. And also... I don't know. Second, I couldn't if I wanted to. <laughs> the second thing is that I got this uh, package of Lifesaver gummies that I'm enjoying, mm. and it's it says share size, and I feel like that's a judgment, because I'm not sharing it with anybody. I'm going to eat right. all of them. Right. But I don't think it should say share size, because that makes me feel bad about myself. Yeah, that does yeah. feel unnecessarily cruel. Not cool. Yeah. Not cool, Lifesavers gummies. Not cool, man. Lifesavers used to be cool. <laughs> now it's all judgy. Yeah. Well, I say let's get down to the wisdom. Totally, let's do let's it. Let's get dude. right after it. We can't get down to the wisdom because we actually have an international emergency. Wow. An emergency. I doubt actually, the word actually in that sentence. <laughs> it's not actually just an international emergency. It's an international slash intergalactic emergency. Really? Whoa. Serious. Beastie Boys level emergency. <laughs> Here's the thing. Um, I'm, I'm perusing the Instagram this past week. And uh, one of the people that I follow is Mark Hamill, who many of you may be nerdy enough to know that he played yes. Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. Is still playing Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. And he posted an image of Justin Trudeau, and who is, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau has come up on the podcast before, possibly because of our ire slash jealousy with Canada. Right, which some right. of you super fans know all about. But this was an in- image of Justin Trudeau. He was on a he was on a television program giving an interview, very serious kind of deal. He's all buttoned up. He's wearing a nice suit and everything. But at one point, he had kind of crossed one leg over the other. Pants leg came up, and the 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 uh, camera uh, like kind of zoomed in, and everybody realized that he was wearing Chewbacca socks. Yes. Oh, wow. We have we have and, different you know, reactions. Mark, Mark Hamill zooms in on the Chewbacca socks, and he's like, dude, Justin Trudeau, still cooler. Canada is getting cooler than us every single day. I immediately had to text Glenn right. because uh, we're on the constant lookout for the fact that, you know, Canada, they've, they've lied to us before about bacon. Not, yep. cool. Not cool. But ever since then, it feels like they're really trying to outcool us. Yeah. Yeah, we, we and if, just in case anyone's not clear, Justin Trudeau is the... Uh, He's he's the leader in Canada. They don't have a president. A viceroy, I think, is the viceroy of sounds, Canada. Sounds right. I think something like that. I think he's the, like the head of the Canada Committee. Okay. Yeah, it sounds something right. Something like that. Yeah. That's like as close as they come to an actual like leader person. Sure, he's, they, he's the in, king in the frozen north. When they <laughs> like when everybody lets their guard down and call him the Poutine Papa. Right. Okay. That's, wow. That's, right. that's nice. That's, yeah. that's uh, don't it. Google that. Yeah. No. Just in case. <laughs> no. Don't Google that. <laughs> well, I think the thing that is informing us is we we live in a world gone mad. 
We live in a world that's leaving us behind. <laughs> yeah. Because you used to think, well, someone's going to have a cheeky you know, nod to beloved American film, Star Wars, even though it was filmed in Britain using mostly British actors. Right. Um, it would be an American. Right. And right. other people are taking all our stuff. Yeah. Let me tell you what, I'm outraged. Oh, are good. you? I am completely outraged. About this or just in general? Both. Here's the thing. <laughs> now, first of all, Trudeau, okay, pretty in the face. Sure. You know what? It's, we get it. Okay. He's pretty. Okay. It's like he's good looking at you. Yeah. It's like he's rubbing his pretty face in our face. He's rubbing Less his face pretty faces. Your... Did you know where that sense was going when you started it? No. <laughs> Listen, now, here's what's happening. He's all attractive. Right. You know, and it's like... He seems to have flustered certain members of this podcast. And here's what... They can't make sentences. Here's, here's what happens. Is like, people from Canada are like, yeah, that's right. He's, he's better looking than, uh, you know, you're really any of you. Right. So, here's what happens. Is, um, so, uh, we're, you know... Uh, Lee sent me the, the, the thing. Right. And I'm like, I'm outraged. That's what I told him. And, you know, you've been I, outraged ever since. Uh, that's right. And here's the thing is Canada just keeps getting cooler. Yeah. While we just keep getting less cool. Sure. And cool. that is a very clear basis for a conspiracy theory. Oh, okay. Whoa. We have our situ- a situation where it's... This show just got more popular on YouTube. It could not be more clear <laughs> okay. that there is some technology yeah. at work that is sucking all of the coolness out of this country and sending it northward okay. towards Canada. And here's the question I'm asking. I'm, I'm going to pose this and I'm going to send it around. Okay. Is this possible? Is it possible that Canada has entered into an unholy alliance with possible outer space aliens that are giving them technology that's sucking the coolness out of our country? What do you think? Well, for starters, we don't have proof of not that. Clearly. Sure. Not, not only possible, but I think the only likely scenario at this point. Well, they could have a deal going on where, I mean, it could be the Wookiees, first of all. Clearly. And so you. You have to represent by wearing the Wookiee, the Chewbacca socks, the most venerated Wookiee of all, Wookiedom. Right. right. So this, this, it, it could be like a a a, a Wookiee spiracy. That's that's almost certainly what we're dealing with uh, now. You know, we've sent some emails to Canada. Right. You send them at at Canada at Canada dot Canada Canada. Right. <laughs> and uh, that's what that's what Matt told me. Yep. So I just sent them off to that people of the internet. <laughs> and so, and so here's what happened: is that you know what they didn't even respond. So basically, Weird. they're denying their allegations of uh, you know the uh, the Trudeau Wookie alliance. Sure, that has taken place that's sucking all the coolness out of this country. And next thing you know, they're, they're people all attractive and cool. And like, you know, like, you go places, like, like wherever you go, and you tell people, I'm from America. 
And they go, huh, yeah. Maybe it's because you say it in that voice. Could be. Yes. But they say, I'm from America. Right. And, and then people, wherever you go, are like, you know what? We've, we didn't ask. We, we've, had a, we've had a bit much of all of that. Right, right. Right? <laughs> but you go anywhere and you say, I'm from Canada, eh? People are like, oh, I like that. That's... You have maple syrup, and they say yes, we do. Sure, you and, have caused zero international right. incidents, and that's that's a see, see what I'm saying. Sure, yeah. we're dealing with that now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, gentlemen, I um, I think Glenn's conspiracy theory has legs. Oh wow! Um, I was uh, counting on Jed to be the voice of reason, and that's my bad. And I can tell you <laughs> why. Because Justin Pierre James Trudeau. <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> Pierre, I there knew it, it was Pierre. I knew it. Was born December 25th, <laughs> 1971. He was not born on Christmas. He was born the same day as Christ our Lord. Oh, that is a real well, conspiracy. I mean, it's on now. We celebrate Christmas on December 25th. Most historians... A biblical historians say late summer sometime Jesus was actually born. Saturnalia, etc. Yeah. The Bible says <laughs> that the devil comes as an angel of light. <laughs> right. You, but, you didn't rebut my thing. You just moved on to something new in that voice. What if this angel wore Wookiee socks? <laughs> While you ponder That's that. That's not related at all. Ponder this. Justin Trudeau, if that is his real name. Your first point was that that's his name. Is the 23rd Prime Minister of Canada. That sounds made up. When we examine the 23rd Psalm, we find themes of peace, serenity, and peace. Right. You said peace twice. Isn't Mr. Trudeau attempting to usurp the themes of the 23rd Psalm for his own political ends? What else could we expect born on the same day as Jesus? None of Justin Trudeau, Canadian Antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I would like to say... Uh, even I think that's a little far. And if, if I think it's just far... Just having the... Just those two words being joined together, Canadian right. Antichrist. Even the Antichrist is like, ease up, man. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I, I, hey, look, I'm picturing you know. a world in which, and we don't name people, but I have to for the sake of this bit, that Alex Jones hears that. Yes. And immediately is pulled out of whatever meat fog he lives his life in. <laughs> and it's like... Oh, I've got to make changes. Oh, that scared me straight. I'm only like, I'm like a few days from that myself. Right, that's right. I'm going to go to the library. I'm going to read some reputable books. I'm going to get some Howard Zinn I don't want to go down that road. Yeah, oh, that's that's rough. I'm eating kale today. Just as a side note, I I just want to note, that is not actually satire. That is like a dozen VHS videos I was shown in church as a kid. Let me tell you what. Here's what I'm trying to say, fellas. Uh, yeah, you you pulled this genie out of the bottle. Put we, it back in. We've all said things that were inappropriate, possibly psychotic, <laughs> <laughs> borderline heretical, true, and uh, and deeply emotional. Yeah, 
<laughs> it's been a big start to the show. <laughs> Is it possible that this Canadio Wookiee <laughs> alliance has gotten to our thought processes? Wow. Oh, so sure. you're not backing off the initial crazy. No, no, it's no, like, no. I, it's like a bowcaster bolt to the brain. Exactly. I couldn't have said it better my own self. Well, I don't think we're going to beat the bowcaster reference. No, that's so good. Let's yeah. go ahead and declare it. Emergency off Canada. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks, Way to make us feel bad. Yeah. Yeah, we do feel really bad. Mainly, it's not really about Trudeau as much as it is certain comparisons he invites, but we feel bad. Yeah. Uh, one thing, here, here's our demon quality of Canada. They have many. Tim Hortons is lovely. Yes. Uh, Toronto's a lovely city to visit. Uh, Vancouver's uh, delightful. Um, but also, uh, Canada is uh, running number three as far as countries with most Bridgebox subscriptions. Ooh. Hey, hey, hey. I do Ooh. believe we are. One would be the these here United States, mm. which that's, well, at least we got one thing right. Yeah, I believe two is our friends in Australia. Wow, I think that's right. We've Canada running wow. a strong third. So the good people of Canada know a value when they see it. Yeah, they're wise people. They're smart people. Mm-hmm. They know that if we need to get sermons, songs, Bible studies, and whatnot, all based around a topic that applies to your real life for only eight dollars a month. All that eight dollars goes to uh, supporting what Lita's down there in Tennessee, supporting what we do up here in Chicago, working with folks getting back on their feet, specifically to uh, funding our Bridge Deacons Division, which are doing. Uh, amazing work on getting people housing, getting people jobs, uh, ministering to folks. You may have uh, recently read a uh, post on Glenn's blog. It's quite popular. Um, that mm. about uh, some of the amazing uh, growth and lessons some of our deacons are going through as far as learning that uh, sometimes when you make a ministry appointment with someone, you they end up not showing up, but you get to eat their donut. So yes. that's an important lesson. But they're doing great work. All that work is funded from our friends across the world, including our friends in Canada. Yeah. And if you want to get on board, you can head on over to missionusa.com slash bridgebox and check it out. We're going to jump to our first question here. This one comes in to Glenn's blog. Speaking of said popular blog. It's quite popular. Yes. If you want to get in touch with us directly with the podcast, there's some ways to do that at the end. But this question comes in and it says, hello, Uncle Glenn. May I ask, how can I stop hating myself? I know God has forgiven me. However, it can't change my mistakes and sin. I keep punishing myself over the years. How can I receive God's grace without self-guilt? Mm. A fantastic question and one we all um, deal with in various times and various um, shades of things, I think it's fair to say. And uh, Glenn, where would you start us off with that? Uh, well, here's uh, maybe a, a, a good point to you know, a good way of starting in on this is uh, you are a sinner. Yes. Uh, Based on that, let me ask you a question that might sound a little bit cheeky. Uh, So what? Hmm. Right. I mean, if everybody's a sinner, why are you a special case? How does that work? What makes your sins uh, so creative and inventive and new that, you know, it, it, you're 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 the exception to everything else that the Bible says about being forgiven and all that. Why why is it that you hate yourself? And I, I think um, I think part of this uh, it's about looking at yourself with humility as opposed to looking at yourself right. with self loathing, guilt, and all that. You know, uh, part of what we need to recognize is that. Uh, 
the enemy has a way of selling us on religiosity. That's one of his favorite things. He, want, he, he takes stuff that is destructive to us, negative, uh, whatever, and then he says, that is a really holy thing, and get on that and you don't need to hear God. So feel bad that you did a thing wrong. You don't need to ask God if you should feel bad about this thing you did wrong, because it is wrong, <clears throat> and what are you supposed to do? Feel good about it? So you don't need to actually ask God about it. Just go ahead and feel bad. That's, that's what the devil is selling every day. And you say, whoa, that sounds really holy. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to feel really, really bad about myself, and that's a measure of how holy I am. Um, but how would a humble person view that exact same situation? Would a humble person say, I can't believe I did something wrong? Well, no, I mean, a humble person would, would be humble enough to recognize, no, yeah. That sounds about right. I, I do wrong things. That, that, that's not unheard of. At this I can, point, I'm surprised when I do something that's not evil. That's right. So, uh, so right away we're seeing there's a lack of humility in this self-assessment, even though it feels emotionally like I am being humble. And that's, I'm being, you know, I'm sort of being self-effacing. I'm sort of down on myself. I'm, I'm, I'm focused on what I'm doing wrong. So that feels like that's sort of like humility in, in some sort of way. Ish. Ish, you know. But in, in reality, I think this, this horrible punishing guilt comes from a place of saying to yourself, you know, I think I'm pretty close to being pretty perfect. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm way up there, and then this, like, knocked me down. Mm -hmm. Like, I was getting, like, an A in the class, and then I I sort of flunked this test, so that's going to bring me down to a B, and that's just killing me that I flunked this test, and I should have been prepared for this test, and whatever, you know. uh, Except for, where are you really... And I student, I mean, if you compare yourself, as we've said in previous podcasts, if you compare yourself to other Christians, you may be an A or a B, but if you compare yourself to Christ, you're 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 not you're not an A student, dude. An F minus minus. That's right. <laughs> so um if you see yourself as a sinner, if you see yourself nowhere near as, as holy as God is and nowhere uh, <clears throat> near as holy as, as he's able to help you become then you look at the mistakes as sort of the default. You look at that as the thing, yes, that we're trying to rise up and overcome, but it, it is the thing that is to be expected. Uh, and then you, you begin to celebrate the forward progress that you make, and that celebration gives you a motivation and excitement and energy and creativity towards doing better and better and better. So having that positive outlook is actually what allows for that growth. That's a really fantastic place to start with that. And Jed, I'd love you to pick it up for us there. I think there's another aspect of this worth looking at ties in exactly what Glenn's saying, which is someone saying, how can I um, receive some grace without the guilt so that I can do things? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I th- think um, inherent in the question here is I feel stuck. I feel yeah. like it's one of my wheels and I feel bad. Yeah. I think there's a, a, a natural assumption that I feel stuck because I feel bad. Right. It's not necessarily true. You feel both of those things at the same time, and the order in which we solve those may not be what we think, right? Yes, absolutely. I think one of the great lies that people buy into when they struggle with kind of lifestyle sins, which I'm guessing is what you're dealing with here, is first you must fix this, then we can do other Christian things. And that's not how this works at all, at all, at all. Um, 
if you say, uh, how can I stop hating myself? Well, you need to get out of your own head. Uh, and the, mm-hmm. the easiest, mm-hmm. best way to do that is to go serve other people. That's it. Right. Um, go help someone else. That can be uh, Habitat for Humanity and you're swinging a hammer and you're helping to build a house. That can be um, a soup kitchen and you're ladling soup. There's there's a lot of ways to, to do that. Don't but bring your ladle to the construction site or your hammer to the soup kitchen. That's that's not good best practices. Absolutely. That, they might get confused. But here's the thing. If, if you find people who are going through really tough circumstances and you do something physically engaged to help them, you are physically present, you are doing actual work to help them, a couple things are going to happen. First, it's going to get a. It's going to help them, which is super great. B. It's going to give you a break from hating yourself. I mean, you're just you're distracted. You're you're on other things. Uh, C. You will feel better. You will just you will feel a sense of of joy and satisfaction, um, which will be great. But lastly, a curious thing is going to happen, and that is none of them are going to ask you about your browser history. Yeah, yeah. None of them. Uh, no one at the soup kitchen is going to stop and say, before I receive this vegetable gumbo from you, could I have a look at your Firefox and just, just see what we're dealing with here? Cause I, uh, you know, I just, I got to check. That's not going to happen because nobody cares. And I think one of the things that is very freeing is discovering, um, that here's the thing about being stuck in your own head is we have a way of saying, my perspective is kind of the only perspective on all of this. It's the only perspective I can mm. imagine. Uh, and I'm really hung up on this. And if we get out in the world and we discover not only does God say he's forgiven me and cast into the sea of forgetfulness, but when I interact with other people, they just don't care. It's just, it's just not an issue. There's a lot of freedom to be found in that. It's not to say that bad things aren't bad. It's not to say that we don't at some point need to f- figure out a way how to, you know, lessen them in our lives. But as Matt was saying, we don't start by saying, first, I will never look at anything naughty online, and then I'll worry about serving people. We actually want to reverse that. I want to get busy serving people. I want to get busy being the hands and feet of Jesus to people that are hurting. And I'll trust that the Lord will do the work of sanctification in me along the way to help me grow into the person that he wants me to be. That's a fantastic place, Lana. That's a great point. And Leah, I'd love to get you to close down on this question. I think there's an aspect in the process here that we want to shine a light on, which is uh, receiving something. I think one of the things that holds us up on this, um, because this is, this is basic receiving a good thing is grace. And again, if we want to, if we want to uh, Bible define it, grace is the unmerited favor of God. Um, There's something culturally, um, I think a lot of it ties back to academics. We're going to start us off. People are real, real uncomfortable with receiving something just freely and unmeritedly. That's and they right. want to say, you know what? Maybe I can contribute something to this process. Maybe I can feel horrible. That's probably what Jesus wants. Yeah. He wants me to contribute some horribleness to this whole beautiful grace situation. So if that's part of what we're doing with this, I just say, it's just, you know, I feel like I shouldn't get away with this or whatever. How do we push through that emotional barrier? Well, if uh, I think you're exactly right. I think this is a cultural problem for, for a lot of folks. And if I was going to wager a guess, uh, a bet here, I would say that when someone tries to pay for your meal, you probably push back on that. Um, my guess is that if somebody pays you a compliment, that you 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 push that down. Oh, it's um, not me; it's the Lord. <laughs> you're, you're, you were probably you're confused that. about that. He gets all the glory. It's all it's all for him, not for me. I'm trying to make his name famous. Um, yeah, this look and and. Uh, the the reason that I can place that bet there is uh, is that that's the exact culture that I grew up in. Um, 
you know the 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 church where I work there are, there are two pastors that kind of brought me along when I was when I was young and trained me up in this whole thing. One of them is a is a dude that we all call Potsy, and this guy exactly to Glenn's point of the the I love the way he said this. The thing we need to learn is humility. This dude is like that, and and one of the cool things that was it was kind of weird for me when I first started hanging out with Potsy. But if you would ever compliment him, he would just say thank you, and then he would move on. And I was so weirded out about that yeah. because usually when you compliment somebody, you know, they push it down, then you have to double down on it and say some more things about it. And then they, oh, no, nah, no. Nah, and they push that down or they compliment you. And then before you know it, we're in this 15 minute long tennis match. And um, now I'm sick of it. Now I don't even like the thing that I was complimenting you about. And now I wish we weren't in this conversation before long. Can we just please not be in this? Well, with Potsy, you just say, hey, that was really cool what you said in the thing. And he says, thank you. And then you like move on to the next thing. Or if you, you know, offer to buy the dude a drink at the restaurant where you're sitting down to, you know, it's like, hey, dude, let me get you a Diet Coke. He'd just say, thanks. And that's the end of it. It's such a cool thing because a humble man can just receive something from someone and they have actual gratitude. You can see it in their face. Thank you. And now a beautiful thing happens. We move on. We're done with that now. The thing's been paid for, or the compliment has been paid. This is a really cool thing. And I would encourage you to not only take what these brothers have talked about with the serving and the humility, but try to put this into operation in lots of different places in your life. If somebody pays you a compliment, it's going to feel like pulling teeth. But I want to challenge you just to look at that person and say, hey, thank you. And don't say another word. Just receive it and see how it feels. Here's the thing I'm going to tell you. It's going to feel weird because it, just as Matt said, it feels like we should, we should be contributing to this. I, I should have, well, thanks for saying that, but I, I really feel like I should have done it better, you know? And, and next time I, I hope that I can really get in there and, and re- really get it done. Well, instead of that, just say, hey, thanks. Next time somebody offers to pay for your meal when you sit down with some friends, just say, hey, thanks for getting that. That's cool. You know, just, just thank them. The thing is, is that gratitude and simply receiving lets you do this beautiful thing, which is moving on. Here's the cool thing. In your question, you talked about, I'm always punishing myself for my sin. The thing is, is that when you believe in Jesus, the payment of Jesus on the cross paid for all the punishment of your sin. This is the, uh, this is the, the deal that God wants to make with you is all the punishment is gone. There is no more punishment for your sin. It's all been paid for. It's all Jesus took all of that punishment. He bore it all. You don't have to take anymore. So you get to receive forgiveness. If you want to fight back on that or receive punishment, well, none of that is coming from God. If we can start to learn how to just receive, whether that's compliments or a meal or a Diet Coke or the grace of God for all of your sins, then this beautiful thing happens where you feel thankful that's a humble thing, and you get to move on. And that's what God wants for you in your sin. He wants you to move on to exactly what Jed's saying, just to, to, to find out what it means to follow Jesus in whatever's next. That's a really fantastic place to land that. I love that, about Amen. the power of humility on that. And there's a way to apply this in this. We, we talk about kind of cycles of negative self-talk and that kind of stuff. And you get the, th- That's a great place to apply humility, because here's the thing. You've got God who's saying, you're forgiven. You can let go of it. We can move on. And then you've got you. And if this sounds like coming from the voice of experience, you go ahead and just roll with that idea. It's saying, but don't you kind of suck anyway? 
And here's <laughs> the thing. What does that second guy know about anything? Nothing. He's the one who's been screwing up your life your whole life. Uh-huh. It's time to stop listening to that, <laughs> that's dude. Right, that's right. That's when we can let go of a little. That's If you want a moment to practice humility, it's when you know God says one thing and you know you say another thing. And in that moment, say, you don't even have to, you don't have to embrace it fully. You don't have to jump into it and say, is it possible? I don't know anything. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's a, it's a, if you're worried, if you're wondering about how, well, how can this, you know, humility b- boil through as opposed to self-hatred, that's a really good time to let uh, actual humility lead you to some, mm-hmm. to letting go of something. So uh, a helpful, if slightly sarcastically invoked exercise there. It's all I can offer. I do apologize. We're going to move on to our next question here. This one comes in anonymously, and it says, I want to trust in God, but it seems like I just can't. I know he's there for me, and I know he has a plan for my life, but it's like I just can't bring myself to totally let go and just trust him. How long does God expect me to wait on him to come through for me? I'm not trying to disrespect the Lord. I just don't know how to see that any other way. And Jed, can you start us off? I definitely can. I have a kind of a, a weird thought for you, but go with me for a second. You say, I want to just trust God. I, you say, I can't bring myself to totally let go and trust him. But here's, here's what I wonder. What if that's not what God is looking for? Interesting. So in other words, it sounds really super spiritual to say, I just want to trust God with everything. I want to give him my all because he's my all in all. I heard that in a song. I don't somewhere. even go to the gas station. I just, I just trust the Lord will fill my tank. <laughs> well played. Well played. <laughs> I mean, it sounds super, super spiritual, but, but what if that's not what God is looking for? Let me explain what I mean. What if there's just one thing in front of you? There's one step that God wants you to take. And he wants you to trust him as it pertains to that one thing. As in Jesus said, follow me. I'm here. I'm at point A. I'm going to point B. And Jesus is super interested in you trusting him as much as is necessary to go from point A to point B. But he's actually not looking for you to trust him past that. Let's just pause for a second. What if that were the case? If that were the case, then... Two things would be true. First is just trusting him big picture isn't actually a goal that we need to have, which is good because as it turns out, that's not how trust works. Um, and that's not just with God, that's with anybody. I mean, there's no such thing as just, I have full and complete trust in you no matter what in all things. There, there, there is no such thing as that. But the second thing is we have a way of getting distracted with big picture lofty ideas that keep us from executing the one thing that God really, really cares about. Let me say that again. Christians have a way of getting distracted with big picture ideas. Like I want to trust him completely and make him famous and just bring him glory. Those all sound like good things. They certainly sound very churchy and very spiritual, but those keep us from focusing on the one thing God is calling us to do. For example, if we go back to our previous question, I want you to start, you know, the Lord's calling you to start helping with Habitat for Humanity. I want you to to start going there and helping out and volunteering because I'm going to lead you through a thing and it's going to start here and I want to show you some stuff. Well, but that doesn't feel super spiritual and that that doesn't feel anointed and it doesn't feel like my Christian friends would be impressed by it. So how does... I mean, they're, they're super impressed when I talk about wanting to make him famous, but none of them do Habitat for Humanity. So what, is, what does that mean? And, and, and what do I do? Here's, here's what I've found is that God wants, 
God has a plan, but he really wants your focus to just be on the one next step. And so Mm -hmm. if we want to break down what it would mean to trust him for that next step, then there's two components. There's asking God for the wisdom to understand the step that he's asking you to take, a sense of of clarity, a vision of here, here is what he's asking me to do, and a sense of why. You know, I mean, some of here's why God wants me to go and, and help with Habitat for Humanity. And the second thing is the courage to get in motion and take it. The funny thing about trust is, again, that's it's oftentimes a kind of high-minded, semi-theoretical concept. Courage is something we use. Courage is fuel that we burn to do a thing. And for sure, God is calling you to do a thing. God's actually probably calling you to do a, a pretty specific thing. The funny... To me, the funny dynamic is if we get in the motion of take of, of getting wisdom from the Lord and getting courage from the Lord and taking that one next step, we actually will learn to trust him in that process. We will develop a deeper trust as we do that. We will need to repeat this process again for the next step because uh, it's, uh, I, I can tell you for me, I don't get to a point where it's like, Lord, anything you say, I think is great. I have no objections. I just think it's all lovely and wonderful. I don't feel that way. Maybe you will. That would be amazing. But we do develop a relationship where we learn to trust more and more and more. But it begins by dealing with that next step in front of us, talking to the Lord about that and getting that wisdom and that courage to take that one next step. I think that's a really important next step. And Lee, I'd love to get you to pick us up right there. It's actually a really good transition because uh, what Jed's talking about there as far as you're going to have to keep re-upping this. Yeah. Um, We talked in the last episode about how when it comes to listening to the Lord, um, almost everyone who's walked the Lord for any kind of time can look back and, in retrospect, find a time they did that. The same probably goes with trusting God. Yeah. Um, Everyone does that to some extent at some point, kind of, even if you're even... There are people who don't believe in God who are trusting God for things. But I think some of the trick as we get moving on to that is if we see that, as, as Jed is laying it out for us, as more of a a uh, kind of constantly repeating cycle versus a a binary status change. One of the things yeah, that yeah. helps us on the next one is looking back at the last one. Yes. And how do we flip into that kind of mindset, Lee? I, I love the way you asked that. And I think that's awesome because with, with so many things in life, what we need are we need fundamental repetitive things so we can build up you know, some muscle memory, so we can build up some skills, so we can build up some accuracy on some of these things. It's really interesting to me when you look at, like, when you read a book in the Bible like the Psalms, which is like just just the most honest picture of the, you know, what a person can do with the, the landscape of their emotions in a relationship with God. So sometimes I'm just super pissed off, and sometimes I'm completely desperate. Sometimes I'm hopeless. Sometimes I'm filled with with just joy, and I want to praise the Lord. And the Psalms deals with all of that stuff. And one thing that you see when you read through the Psalms is they're constantly, whoever's writing that, those songs, they're constantly remembering old things that the Lord did for them or for their people. They always run through, you know, we were in this situation and then the Lord did this for us. They have this, they have this culture of remembering what God has done. And, and that's because exactly as Jed's talking about, exactly as Matt's talking about, in order for us to do this, we've got to build up um, a, a memory of how God has done this. The reason is because the moment of deciding whether or not to trust God is an emotional moment. I, I, 
I have something that I'm afraid of or something that I'm waiting on or something that I'm desperate about or something that I'm freaking out about. And so I'm in an emotional moment. Well, anybody can tell you, and you could tell yourself that a lot of times when you when you're in a really highly strained emotional moment, making a decision in the, you know, just making a decision in the whim on that based on that emotion is not usually a very great idea. We've got to have something that something outside of that emotion that we can call upon. So as Matt's saying, if I have in my brain the 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 last time that that God came through for me or another time that God showed up when I expected something bad to happen or whatever it was or something where God was asking me to wait and I and I did and that really really paid off then that helps me that helps me in that in the middle of that emotional moment where fear is taking over and where um, not only fear but but just and I've heard Glenn refer to this before and I think it's exactly right that we have a lot of adrenaline in those moments and that bypasses our ability to process things well. But if I have some handholds, some 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 mental handholds of this is a time God showed up and this is a time waiting on God paid off and this is another time or to the the opposite end. This is a time when I didn't, you know, wait and I totally screwed up everything for, a, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever. It's just like the people in the Psalms where they're saying, Lord, remember this time when you showed up for us and this time when you did this thing and we expected everything to fall apart. This is the way, this is the way that we walk through moments that are emotionally overwhelming is that we have something that is a true north that we can go to outside of that emotion that helps us think through what we feel. And so I think that exactly as Matt's saying, I think that's something that we build up with reps. Um, It's something that the Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians 4 when he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And that's how the peace of God comes into your life. And so I think that's how we deal with these emotions and that adrenaline, is that we have some, we have some things that we remember, some true north that can help us think through all that emotion. I think that's a really great point. That's some very important stuff. And Glenn, I'd love to go to you next. And I think it incorporates a lot of what Lee talked about there, but I'd also like us to look at another aspect of that. Lee talked about, it's very important, there's a, an aspect of trusting the Lord, of having faith in the Lord, that is an in-the-moment emotional thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, to use the uh, the the military analogy, I'm standing in formation, and there are people with sticks running at me. Right, right. Is this the moment to break, or is this the moment to to stand strong? I think, but I think there's also a what what people mean when they say trust in the Lord kind of thing. As a longer term, I'm trying to make some lifestyle big picture points, and as Lee points out, uh, that's going to involve a lot of those kind of momentary decisions. But I'm wondering, if there are also some bigger picture stuff we can lay on top of what Lee just gave us to look at some kind of overall strategies and attitudes to help with that. Well, for sure. And I, I, I think he's all over it, you know, in terms of the emotional element of that. I think we can, when we talk about trust, that sounds spiritual, trusting in God. That's like, uh, you know, the more spiritual you are, the, the easier it would be to do that. But uh, I think uh, it's, it's harder to trust God if you have had people that you trusted let you down mm. in life. 
it's if you have trust issues, it's it's going to be difficult to trust God. The fact that God is perfect doesn't change that because it's not a problem with God; it's a problem with you. Uh, and uh, it, it's if it's a problem where you have had people that you trusted let you down, then that's a problem you come by very honestly. Yeah. And I think we need to give you a big fat break on that. Um, so I think part of this is about exploring other areas where trust has been betrayed in your life and working through that. Uh, the second thing I'd have us look at in terms of the practical, you know, what does this look like moving forward, is to ask yourself, what what is it that you think God's will for your life would look like? And question whether that's on target. A lot of people that, that talk to me about, you know, I don't know if I can trust God. I get the feeling like in their head they think like the first thing God's going to ask him to do is like walk across a bed of really hot coals. Yeah. You know? <laughs> a lot of trust falls with the Lord. It's yeah. Tony Robbins. You're thinking of Tony Robbins. <laughs> you know, you know, that's the that's not that's not what God's calling you to do, man. That's that that's not it. In fact, I I don't think uh, I think a lot of people picture stuff that's risky or dangerous or scary or something like that that God is calling us into, uh, and. Uh, I, I think that needs to be questioned, and I think it needs to be brought into a more realistic view of what is it what is it that God's asking you to do, and what does it look like? Mm-hmm. What what what? How would that take shape? Yes, it is. Uh, God is challenging us. There's no question about that. But that's more like God asking you to do things that you don't know how to do, so you mm-hmm. have to rely on Him for wisdom. That's like asking you to do things that you've never done before, so you. You go to him for a sense of peace and a sense of uh, stability. You know, he's he's your rock that you're standing on as you do this new thing. But all those things are also positive at the same time because you're expanding, evolving, growing, doing new things. Your your horizons are broadening, and your life is richer, more full, more better. That's what following the Lord looks like: is your world gets bigger mm-hmm. instead of the small life that that you have now. So. Um, I think it may seem scary. I'm not sure half the stuff you're scared of is going to happen, but even the stuff that seems a bit intimidating, overwhelming, uh, you you might ask yourself, are all the scary things that you've faced down so far and all the growth and development that you've had, all the victories that you've had up to now, would you want to trade those back so you could just do whatever you want to do? Hmm. You, you, you wouldn't. You, you're, you're glad on the other side of that. Um, but there's another element to this, uh, trusting the Lord, that, that I super hate, which is the waiting part. Mm-hmm. That uh, waiting sucks, y'all. <laughs> That's, uh, the uh, great theologian Thomas Petty taught us that. that exactly. The waiting <laughs> is the hardest part, you know. <laughs> uh, but, but here's the thing is, um, uh, it, it, don't hear me, you know, trying to give you a sunny side of that. I don't like waiting, and I'm not good at it, and I don't want to get good at it, because then what would you have? Yeah. You know, that would just be madness right to there. To quote things Glenn has said from the stage on the bridge about waiting, I don't want to. That's right. That's right. I don't. I don't want to. But here's the thing: I do know is uh, screwing things up because I'm in a hurry and rushing things is worse than waiting. Yeah. That that produces a worse outcome, and I'm less happy when I do that. 
yeah, it kind of sucks to think in terms of this is a lesser of two evils. I, I get that as well. But it's about recognizing that God doesn't ask us to wait for no reason. It, you know, it's it's not a matter of, you know, this will be good for you and you'll thank me later kind of a thing. It's that that it's it's that this isn't the right time you know there will be a time when this is right we're not there now you know so it wouldn't be enjoyable if you had it now it will be enjoyable later so it's your enjoyment that i'm i have my eye on that's not really god depriving us even though in the moment i want it now so it doesn't matter you know i think god's understanding about that you should be understanding about yeah. that uh but it's, it's about recognizing that following God looks like uh, a lot of wild, messy adventure, and it's uh, growing and expanding and doing things you never thought you'd be able to do because God strengthens you and empowers you in amazing, amazing ways. But it isn't a dark journey through scary, overwhelming things that are going to burn your feet. Maybe. Well, your feet could get burnt if you follow the Lord, but, you know, if you walk really fast, probably not. Sure. I'll, a lot of great stuff from these guys. One thing I'll, t- I'll tack on the end here is, um, as we're talking about here, this idea of waiting as its own thing. Rare, rare is that the case. So we, we hear the phrase, wait on the Lord, as it's used in the Psalms, or it's used in a, it's in a bit of poetic language. And I think the, the some people are prone to think, okay, so there's something God wants, so I have to s- just stay here. Until I figure out exactly what that is. Because if I do it wrong, then he'll make me walk through burning hot coals or whatever it is, or, you know, lightning squish or whatever that is. That's almost, that's never been the case in my life. I don't talk about anybody else, but uh, there's a waiting on a big picture thing, and there's always, almost always something to do on that. Yeah. Rare is the point where it is, and there there are some occasional things where it literally is just sit tight until this is taken care of, but they're pretty rare. So, so we talk about a lot of stuff. If you feel like you're going stir crazy on the waiting and the waiting as Glenn just pointed to is hurting your ability to you feel like you're hurting your ability to trust, find something to get in action, something to do. And that, that'll really help that whole process along. All right. We're going to jump to our final question of the episode. This one comes in anonymously and it says, I've heard people talk about how important it is to be biblically literate, but I don't really know what that means. I think I know the basics of the Bible. Is there a certain amount of Bible I need to know before I quote unquote get it? And Lee, why don't you start us off here? No. Um, no. Thank you. I'll go to no. Jed to expand on the no. <laughs> <laughs> also, no. Uh, yeah, when it says, you know, you say, I, I don't know what that means. That's because no one knows what that means. I, I think if I was going to be generous to. Uh, people that talk this way to a point of madness, I would say that what they think that they mean is that, you know, when people come to you with questions about your faith, that you would have, that you would kind of know what you're talking about and that, that you would be able to answer most kind of questions that come in or that, or that if people have uh, questions about, you know, the, the kind of the non-negotiable fundamental elements of the gospel, that uh, that you wouldn't get it wrong, and so what you know? What are the things for that? Here's the deal on that: the gospel message is dirt simple, and um, y- you you know my my eight year old could explain it to you adequately, and so um, and 
so there's not a whole lot of like you have to have this book of the Bible memorized before you are qualified for ministry or anything like that. I will say this. I've done quite a bit of counseling at this point, counseling teenagers, college kids, old, you know, married couples, pre-married couples, all kinds of situations, that kind of stuff, training people for ministry. No one has ever stopped me in a counseling session and said, "Now, can you say the, you know, the 12 tribes of Israel, you have those memorized? You you, you got all that down?" Or can you give me the, you know, the, the books of the Bible in order? Or can you tell me the timeline of the Babylonian captivity or anything like that? Th- these are not the kinds of things that, that come up. This idea of you have to have a certain amount of this down before you get it. Um, one thing that I would say is that the Bible is the Bible's awesome. The Bible is God's word. This is what the Bible says about itself. These are God's words. But the Bible is also its stories, its songs, its letters. And I think one of the worst things that people do to the Bible is that they dissect it. Um, like, like in a science class when they you know, put, a, put a frog on a dissecting table and they open it up and pull it all to pieces and it's, it's not a frog anymore. It just doesn't have any like, frogginess to it anymore. All of a sudden, the, the Bible isn't the Bible anymore because we're breaking down sentences into the thing and we're staring so deeply into it that we've lost the thing that it was about, which was following Jesus. And so if the Bible becomes kind of an academic pursuit or something that makes you better than anybody else, we've lost it. Yeah. Um, the, the Bible, let it be itself and go to the Bible for the strength, the encouragement, the correction, and the training that you need to follow Jesus and to do what he's calling you to. That's what we need to go to the Bible for, for encouragement, for, for, for courage, for strength. Uh, yeah, and sometimes for answers, but I think that we can sometimes dissect it and we lose it because we lose Jesus in there. So I don't know that anybody knows what they mean by this question, but I do think the Bible is important, and I do think that it, it's important that we go about it in a way that keeps our eye on, uh, keeps our eye on following Jesus so that we can uh, walk with him and help other, help other folks walk with him as well. I think that's a, that's a really fantastic place to go. I'm gonna, but just in case someone asked me the 12 tribes of Israel, yeah. I think I got it. You got the Nina, yeah. the Pinta, yes. the Santa Maria. Yes. Right. Uh, I don't practice Santeria. That's no. not one. Right. Do you I'm have out. a crystal ball? Yes. Okay. Um, there's you left the, out the half tribe of Manasseh, but okay. Yeah. yeah there's the Iroquois. Yes. Um, there's the sharks and the jets. Right. Yes. Which totally. is weird. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. There's the Justice League is in there. Yeah. Right? Like their own thing. And there's I, Shield. Shield. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And I think the final one is oddly enough New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. That's right, That's you, got it. It. you got it. So, uh, if anybody ever asked that, you can just listen back. And Stuck I'm almost learning. certain that wasn't 12, but I ran out of funny things to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and uh, again, Lido's point is starts off a very important point, because uh, the ki- people who say this, um, they don't mean anything by it. Yeah. That's right. They're trying to justify their own misspent education. Yeah. That's, a, <laughs> that's just a little bit of commentary from your old friend, Matt. Yeah. But there is an, something... Uh, there is something that could be termed biblical literacy, which is important. There is understanding a certain amount sure. of what's in the Bible that is there. Um, and Jed, maybe we can, we uh, will, and it's important to kind of focus on what people uh, mean that is wrong when they say this, but assuming giving people the benefit of the doubt that there is something important about knowing 
some basis in the Bible, what are those things? Sure, no. Well, we, I think we can relax a little bit if we ask, what does it mean to be literate in Star Wars? Uh, to take us all the way back to the emergency. Here's what it means to be literate in Star Wars. Luke Skywalker, good. Darth Vader, bad. The Force, cool. That's just like your opinion, man. You should read my thesis on how the real protagonist is. <laughs> yeah, no. No, to repeat. Luke Skywalker, good. Darth Vader, bad. The Force, cool. Right. If you know those three things, you are literate in Star Wars. Right. That's, that's it. You got it. You got the themes. You got, you got the main thing. If the internet teaches us nothing else, it's that there's limitless detail and minutia past that. Yeah. But it's all commentary There's on those three things. There's an extended universe. Yeah, it's, it's all flavor and shading and commentary on those three basic ideas. Okay, so, and, and anybody can understand that. It's mm-hmm. super, super straightforward. The Bible, same thing. Jesus, good. Sin, bad. Helping others, very good. Let me write that if down. If you take out that last part... And maybe that first part, you have 80% of sermons in the world. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But seriously, though, uh, <laughs> if you say Jesus, super good, sin, probably not great, helping other people, real, real great, you, that's actually pretty good biblical literacy. Yeah. That's, that's great. If you wanted to take it to slightly more precise, you'd say John 3.16, for God so loved the world, uh, gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's great. That's pretty much what the Bible is about in one verse. You could right. add Jesus' comment in Matthew 25, where he talks about, inasmuch as you serve the least of me, you serve the, <laughs> the least of me. I'm least so of these. tired. Right. Inasmuch as you serve the least of these, you serve me. All right. That's kind of, now you know how to live the Christian life. Sure. Uh, and if you're not sure, James spells it out. Religion that God our Father finds acceptable and true is this, helping orphans and widows in their distress and keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. Three verses, you've got not just the main themes of Christianity, but a pretty precise representation of exactly what this faith and what this religion both is about on a spiritual level and lived out. Next you're well, gonna tell it. next you're gonna tell me that it's like somebody summed up the whole book in two great commandments about just loving God and loving others. Yes, no, that's exactly what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Well, actually, let's do that. If you add <laughs> Sorry those... if my tone sounded sarcastic. I was being sincere. <laughs> if you add those two verses, now you understand everything about both the Old and the New Testament. Yeah. Now you have the complete Bible, <laughs> right. and you know a lot about it in five verses. Right. So you've, you've just got it on lock. Okay. Now, everything else in the Bible is just like the Nerdatorium of Star Wars. It's shading, it's commentary, it's nuance. That's fine. That's lovely. It's 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 great, you know. But A, you don't need anything more than that to get what's going on. And that's what mm-hmm. it means to be literate, is to get what's going on. Um, and it doesn't make you more of a Christian if you do have all those details. Um, what? I know, right? <laughs> I know. Here's the thing. You're a Star Wars fan if you root for Luke Skywalker to defeat Darth Vader. Right. Word. That's it. Yeah. You are fully... There, there are, to your point, Jed, there are a lot of four-year-old Star Wars fans that are hype Oh, dude, Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Luke Skywalker is my jam. That's my dude. Right. If you're rooting for Luke to take out the Death Star, you are as much a Star Wars fan as anybody Bingo. else is. Period. Right. The end. If you know, for God so loved... 
saved me, and now I'm going to help other people in Jesus' name. You got this Christian thing and switched on as anybody else does. Right, right. Yes, there's limitless shading and color commentary and insight and whatnot that helps provide all kinds of perspective and advice and keep you between the ditches, and that's all good, but it doesn't make you more of a Christian. And this is the part that we really need to underscore. It, none of that in any way cancels out those big themes. I remember one time talking to a person who was a very dedicated theologian, and he said, well, you know, God doesn't actually love the unsaved. He has a, a fondness and an affection for them, but he doesn't actually love them. And he proceeds to give me you this— You Bibled it too hard there, Chet. You Bibled it so hard that you <laughs> undid John 3.16. Right. That's too hard. Yes. You Bibled it too hard. You done shot yourself in the foot. Nothing properly understood that you read in the Bible will ever contradict those big themes. It will help you understand it a bit more, help to unpack it. But if you are rooting for Luke Skywalker, you are fully a Star Wars fan. If you believe John 3.16, you are fully a Christian as much as it gets. The rest is just details. That's a really great point. And Glenn, I'll I'll go to you on this because, again, if we run it, we want to grasp at a straw of a point that someone who talks about the importance of biblical literacy might have. Um, they may say that it's important to know it's in the Bible, mm-hmm. because then people can't tell you things that are not Christianity and pass that off as Christianity. Right. And that sounds good in theory. Yeah. But again, that's almost what none of them are talking about. Right. But I think it's a good point. So what, what do we say about that? It is important to know enough about your own faith. Mm-hmm. To be able to immunize yourself against bad ideas, that's right. a good thing. Yeah. But that I don't think that looks like necessarily having to have a Greek concordance in your mind at all times. Well, absolutely right. I think um, again, you're 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 talking about on this podcast four guys who teach Bible all day every day. So mm-hmm. we, you know, we're 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 not doing short shrift on that at all. And we're we're also talking doctrinal stuff, you know. Sure. That's that's happening as well. So that's it's not as if we think that's unimportant in any way. Well, to to put uh, bones on that, you're absolutely right. Uh, especially with the bridge, uh, we deal with a bunch of churches that we're sending our right. guys to that we that our guys maybe have come from, learned stuff from that we're interviewing. We talk a lot about doctrine and absolutely. getting into some relatively fine points of it. No question about it, and and it's and it's good that we do that. But uh, I think to answer your question, I think it's about uh, the the idea of staying on good co- good doctrine and recognizing it starts with the big picture thing that Jed's talking about. Uh, and uh, if you don't value that, then that means this is really just an intellectual exercise. But the idea that I become a better Christian the more Bible I know doesn't track at all. Yeah. That those yeah. two things don't go together. It sounds right when, when if you don't think about it at all. But think about <laughs> it for five minutes. The devil knows every word on every page. It doesn't make him a better Christian. That's that's not how that works. Um, it's living this out that makes a difference. Uh, if you're not, right. if you if you're learning about it and not living it out, what the heck do you think that's doing for you? That's that's not changing anything. That's that's not growing. You're not a better Christian. If you can dig it, here's a funny thing: is I, I the the thing that we're we're working around here is that this is about impressing other Christians. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you a few things about that. Uh, one, I hear not only do I know more Bible than probably I don't know ninety percent of Christians in the world. 
I also hear more preaching than any human being I know on the planet. Uh, So I've heard a lot about the Bible. And here's the thing on that. Wherever I go, whatever I do, whatever I say, in almost any room that I walk in and start talking about stuff, there's one person in that room who is utterly convinced he knows more than I do about it. And um, he's... I say he because it's always a guy, yeah, uh, or two or three, uh, that that isn't going to be impressed no matter what I say and no matter what I do and is not going to give me any kudos. I've never had anybody come up to me and say, wow, you know a lot of Bible. So what would be the point of me trying to impress people if no matter how much I know, no one ever has been impressed? You know, that's, that's, a, that's a useless exercise. Uh, it, it would be great if I could, you know, you know, have some sort of certificate of Bibleology, and people would be like, "Whoa, I am impressed with you that you know that thing." Uh, if I'm not getting that, then then what is the point here? Um, the last point I want to touch on in this, and I think this is super important. Um, read reread the the Gospels, the four Gospels, and every time it says Pharisees. Sadducees, uh, scribes, teachers of the law, uh, substitute Christians, pastors, church folk, church folk, uh, preachers, seminary students, and all that. Whatever it is, it's when when Jesus when we're talking about Pharisees and Sadducees, we're just talking about religious leaders. That's what that's mm-hmm. you could replace. I wish someone would write the gospel and just replace it with religious leaders instead of Pharisees and Sadducees. There are specific people with specific issues and specific concerns. But here's the thing: is we're tempted to read the gospels and say, "Well, I'm not a Pharisee, so that doesn't apply to me." And the, the the very person reading that is so pharisaical, it's like, how does this not hit you right between the eyes when you read this verse? The thing about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, really a lot of Christianity that was in existence when Jesus came was it was wound up on this exact thing. And the beautiful right. part is we don't have to go off of what I think about this or what Jed or Lee or... Matt think about this, we can actually just look at what Jesus says directly about this idea of uh, following God is reading and studying and learning stuff. And Jesus says, you know, you study that word diligently. That sounds good. No one would ever accuse you of doing anything other than studying it diligently. Because you, you, you're fully convinced that you're going to get something magical out of that. But here I am standing right in front of you, and you to have utterly no earthly idea whatsoever. So this idea of the, being the most learned, the most scholarly, the most uh, book-learningest person in the room uh, means you're the best Christian or you have the most respect doesn't track. And it's this is the thing, Jesus... When he came and, and, and spoke, he talked, I mean, he sat down with prostitutes and he said, you know, it's all right and we're going to figure this out and you're forgiven and I set you free from this life. He sat down with uh, tax collectors. He, he dealt with the lowest of the low and there was, there was mercy and grace. And, mm. and then you had these people, super religious and super bible and he would say, you know what, you're like 
a, a an, an unmarked grave and people trip across you and they don't know what you are or what you're about and they are defiled by you because you that's how evil you are that's how confused you are that's you're astray you've gone astray and you're leading these other people astray and it'd be better for you that we tied a millstone around your neck and we threw you into the sea than if these people heard another word out of your mouth. This is the harshest rebuke Jesus ever gave, and it was for religious leaders who thought themselves hyper-religious because they studied this and knew it in its little minute details. The idea that we could read that same gospel and study it in its minute detail and be exactly like those Pharisees without catching on to that blows my absolute mind. Uh, we have to, we have to uh, get into a place where you can get away from that to recognize that this is a prideful attitude that puts us on the road to becoming more and more like those Pharisees as opposed to having the attitude of, yes, I need to live this out. No, no doubt you have to study the Bible to figure out how to live it out. I'll grant you that, and, and that is the right way to look at it. But if you're studying that and not living out, that's no credit to you. That's a fantastic point. Um, I would I would go to actually the phrase that's being used here. There's to add just add one quick thing on the end here. Actually, I, w- I will use two things. I will first tell a childish story, and then I will make an actual point. I just can't think of such things. That thing about this is childish story. This is from a, a young adult Sunday school class at at the church Lee currently works at many many years ago. Talking about the Bible and the the married gal who's co-leading it uh, refers to. Uh, the part of Ephesians 6 where Paul refers to the word as the sword. And she's talking about how she feels like she doesn't use the Bible enough in her daily life, kind of combating ideas. The phrase she used for that was, I feel like I don't whip it out enough. <laughs> and I'm sitting there alongside a buddy, just trying not to die laughing. And then, I swear this is true, tacked on, I feel like I only whip it out on Sundays. <laughs> and I have to do more. <laughs> That's right. And That's to, uh, I think... The point I'd make off that is, A, that's just hilarious, and I want to share that with you people. Sure. And B, I think a proper understanding of the Bible is one that has to be able to understand that that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's if, you, right. if, you yeah. Go, if you if you feel bad about giggling with that story, you have, you've gone too far into the religiosity. That's right. Uh, this is another point I make a lot that uh, uh, nobody wants to hear because it freaks people out, church people, particularly uh, learned. Uh, I'm looking up uh, world literacy rates. Hmm. In the year 1800, so those of you keeping track at home, that would be... Uh, 90% into Christianity's existence. Uh, Europe, the most literate uh, countries in Europe, one of those being Great Britain, was at about a 50% literacy rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the countries in Europe were way, way below that. Now, I use that to say, make this point. The vast majority of people who have lived out a Christian life over the entire run of Christianity had never read a Bible. Right. They, either they couldn't read right. or the Bible didn't exist in their language. It just didn't happen. So, and Presbyterian bros, I apologize. This is going to hurt you most. (laughs) It is entirely possible to do that. Right. It's not ideal. It's not the best. That means you got to rely on someone else to get your information. So, biblical literacy, to the the extent that it's a thing, can be positive, because as these guys are saying, you can go directly to the source. That's right. You can go and say, boom, it says that it's like a guy whose son runs away, and he's really happy when his son comes back and doesn't want to hear about all the bad stuff and doesn't want to hear the big impressive speech. Great story. And there's infinite stuff to mine out of that. The trouble that all these guys are pointing to we get into is when we want to say, yes, Bible, important. And then we use that as a 
never-ending list of things for other people to tell us what it means. Right. And we just get a new level of academics and writers, and some of those are great, and we read some of those guys. But when you say, I clearly, as a person, could never understand what, oh, great, the great mysteries of this huge academic tome, and I need uh, someone to do that for me, that's kind of going way back in time to a pre-literate uh, Christianity, which you're not taking advantage of what's in front of you. It's great to go into this, as you guys are saying, to live in your life, to have the Bible be a big, important part of that, and get things explained to you as they come up. But that's that's different than maybe what people talk about when they kind of deify the Bible in and of itself. Okay, if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. We're going to take you out. We talked a lot about uh, thankfulness on this episode, and this is a song, a lot about that. This is a song by our friend Eric Peters. There's an old hymn called Joyful, right. Joyful, We Adore Thee, and uh, it ties in a little bit thematically. Also, I just like the song, and I'm the one who picks them, so deal with that. That's right. We'll Ooh. see you next week. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Let's say that podcast is exposing hidden truths about how Canadians are in bed with the Wookiees. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love, hearts unfold like flowers before the opening to the sun above. Yeah.